0: another episode of Two Guys with a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, we come to that time of year again where uh, we've had another famous personality in the film world die. Uh, and this time it was the noted director Richard Donner died at the ripe old age of 91 this month. It's crazy if you look back over Richard Donner's filmography, most of the big action blockbuster I shouldn't say most, many of the big action blockbuster hits of the uh, 80s and a little bit in the 90s that were so popular and iconic of the time were directed by him. He kicked it off with the Superman, and he was probably the first person to really treat the superhero genre seriously uh, instead of making it campy. And I think that's what won everyone's heart over with the original Superman and Superman 2 uh, which he did. But before he did Superman and Superman 2, y- just a year or two before, he did this film called The Omen uh, in 1976. Actually, the the first movie he did really out of TV. He spent most of his early career in television, d- did a ton of television,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and then was offered the opportunity to direct The Omen and jumped at that chance to finally direct a, a, a feature film. And once Gregory Peck got on board unexpectedly he was actually pretty much retired from acting at the time and he he decided to come on board with the film and that brought a lot of other a lot of legitimacy to the movie i guess you should say to the project and so other actors came on board and before you know it uh, we have a movie that uh, when it was released came about at the right time it falls on the heels of rosemary's baby and the exorcist and a lot of these sort of satanic oriented films, religious horror type stuff that was um, really popular during this period of time in the late 70s. So um, yeah, uh, it became a blockbuster hit for him, boosted him into uh, fame and he then he went on to direct. Like I said, the Superman movies, the first two, uh, the Lethal Weapon series, all of those. We did Scrooged earlier on here, which is one of our favorites. Almost everything that he's touched has turned to gold. Goonies. I forgot he directed Goonies. (laughs) I, I always had it in my head that it was Christopher Columbus who directed it, but he just wrote it. And Stephen King produced it. But man, Richard Donner.
1: Steven Spielberg.
0: Yeah, Steven Spielberg, yeah. And then I went back and I looked and I saw that so many movies that we really like were almost directed by him. Like, he turned down offers to direct other movies that went on to become big blockbusters. So, a pretty interesting man and we're really happy to honor him today by reviewing The Omen. Certainly an iconic horror movie and a horror movie that uh, would have been very important to him and his career. I had seen The Omen... Uh, later in life, maybe about six or seven years ago for the very first time. I just watched it during one of those months where I was challenging myself to watch a horror movie a day in October and, and write a little review up about it. So I remember watching it, writing a little review about it, and uh, being a little disappointed in it at the time, thinking that it would be something a little more on the scale of The Exorcist or something just super scary like that. Uh, because it's just been part of pop culture, for my childhood, anyway, Damien, you know, Damien, the Antichrist, the omen. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. So I was scared, kind of scared of this movie for a while. And then when I watched the movie, I thought, oh, it's, it's not as scary as I thought it would be. Revisiting at this time, I wondered if I would revise my judgment. And I guess as we go on and talk about it, we will see. Craig, how about you? What, what's your history with this movie?
1: I don't know. Um, I was always aware of it. Uh, the box art uh, is imprinted in my mind with, you know, the little boy casting the shadow of a upside-down cross. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I saw it when I was a kid just because I knew that it was a classic, I guess, at least of its day. And I remember iconic scenes from it, and, you know, I remember the general story. I think that I kind of, in my mind, conflate Part 1 and Part 2, and and Donner didn't do Part 2. I remember in Part 2 scenes with ravens, and a very gruesome scene of a woman being killed by uh, a flock of ravens on a road, uh, I think. Mm. Um, And like I said, there are definitely parts of this movie that I remembered, but I didn't I don't know, like, I didn't have any strong memories of it, but I was excited to go back and watch it, and ultimately, I like it. I think it's a good movie. On IMDb, you know, they, they categorize their movies, and, and sometimes they'll be like, horror comedy or horror suspense or or whatever, and this one is just labeled straight up horror, hmm. which I find kind of Interesting because though there definitely are horror elements, I mean, we're talking about yeah, Satanism and, and the Antichrist, it really feels more like a thriller yeah. or a family drama. Yeah. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that that's perfectly fine. But I don't find it to be particularly sad. Scary. I wasn't really scared of this movie. <laughs> no right. I was. I was interested, and I was engaged. And it's a good movie. It's it's well done. It's it well shot. I mean, I don't think that there's. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that's particularly notable about the filmmaking style. Um, it, it's very straightforward there's not a whole lot of really super stylistic stuff going on
0: not too much but there's there's a little bit of stuff in there yeah a little bit
1: a little bit and uh there are some deaths that are if not shocking at at the very least um interesting and creative and and Mm. i liked the way that many of these deaths were foreshadowed um there was some kind of unexpected stuff. I feel like I'm talking it down and I don't mean to because I really do like it. It just doesn't it it's not a lot like most of the movies that we do. Yeah. It's not it's not a slasher, it's not crazy supernatural. In fact, that's kind of one of the things that I appreciate about it. Uh Richard Donner, one of his rules for the movie was that he didn't want there to be anything that was overtly supernatural. Mm. He, he didn't want anything to happen that couldn't potentially happen in real life. And so, I guess in some iteration of the script, there were mentions of you know supernatural witch covens and like de- uh, like hooved demons and stuff and. He didn't want that. He wanted there to maybe even be the suggestion that uh, our main character, Robert Thorne, played by Gregory Peck, maybe he's just kind of losing it a little bit because of the drama that it's causing his family. And I actually think that that was a really smart approach. Now, that said, everything that happens in the movie could happen in real life, <laughs> but it would be awfully coincidental <laughs> yeah, that all yeah. this crazy stuff
0: <laughs> Pretty is ridiculous.
1: happening. A yeah. series
0: of coincidences, yeah. But you know, this is how the devil would work in real life, you know. Uh, C.S. Lewis described miracles, you know. These aren't going to be like suddenly the clouds open up and this beam comes down and something miraculous happens in front of you. It's going to be Um, unseen supernatural force manipulating the natural forces that we all know and recognize in our world and in our nature to make something happen that we then deem as miraculous. Right. And so in that way, it still is a little, I don't know, it's in keeping, I think, with the biblical type theme of the movie. At At least one interpretation of the biblical. You start talking about religion and even, especially even just Christianity itself, and you've got a lot of different directions you can go with that a lot of different beliefs encoded within that a lot there's the mystical and then different degrees and different shades of that so it's cool actually like you said that he decided to take this approach with the subject matter although you know i i don't feel like you walk into a movie like this expecting it to be guess what you know it was all just a bunch of coincidences kind of thing and so it certainly wasn't marketed that way no The movie was heavily marketed. I think they spent twice the budget of the movie just on marketing alone. And then they tried to play up this idea that the movie was cursed. There was talk of these accidents that happened during production, that Gregory Peck had booked a flight to Jerusalem or something, or Israel at some point, it had canceled at last minute while he was on the production. But And then that flight ended up crashing and killing everyone on board. I read these things, things like that, things like lightning striking two of the plane, the plane of producer and somebody else twice. However, if you kind of dig a little deeper, you realize that very little, if any, of this has actually been verified. Right. And it seems like a lot of these little things were just played up by Donner and the producers and Selznick, the writer, just to create some some press.
1: You can read all about that stuff, and it's some interesting stuff if, if all of it's true, if any of it's true. But right, like you said, um, uh, weird stuff with lightning striking planes, plane crashes, accidents on set. Uh, There's a scene that takes place in an animal sanctuary, and supposedly on that day, one of the uh, employees at the animal sanctuary was killed by the animals, and um, but like you said, so much of it is unsubstantiated, so you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. I don't know. I mean, if it is true, that's, yeah. those are very strange coincidences. And it makes a very good story. Yeah. And it, it worked. You know, there was a lot of buzz about this movie. And you mentioned that it came after Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist. And it's very much, uh, in the vein of those movies, but this was kind of the last one. Mm. As, uh, then we moved more into the 80s, the genre leaned, heavily into slashers and these movies just kind of stopped being made yeah but I like it I I, I, I don't want to go in on a negative note because <laughs> not at all I do like it it's good um, and Gregory Peck like you said lent a lot of legitimacy to this movie and I don't think that this movie would be as renowned or simply even as as well known if he hadn't signed on to do it and gregory peck is one of if not my favorite actors from that era mm. uh, i think that gregory peck is an incredible actor. He's a little bit older here, but I think he puts in a a great performance. I thought it was funny to read. You know, they say don't meet your heroes. I read that Donner had to do a lot of reshoots, especially in close-ups because Gregory Peck um, had a thing about not wanting to be seen with double chins. Like (laughs) Really? (laughs) Like, dude, you're old. (laughs) It happens to the best of us. Um, And if you don't want to be you know, seen with double chins. Maybe talk to your costumer about not putting you in turtlenecks all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you can't
0: turn that shit into a turtleneck; it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> but he's
1: good, and I think uh, the performances are good. There is definitely some spooky stuff going on. I've mentioned before. I don't consider myself deeply re- deeply religious, but I do identify as a Christian. And the uh, idea of an Antichrist is something that is not out of the realm of possibilities for me. And so it's it's frightening. And and I and I do like the family drama. You know, this all really hinges on a very early scene. The very first scene we see is in Rome and Robert Thorne, Gregory Peck is on his way to the hospital, but he's already been informed that his wife has delivered a baby, but that it had died. That it had only taken a couple breaths and that it died which obviously is a tragedy for any family and when he arrives there I guess it's a catholic hospital and the priest who talks to him says look the baby died but another baby was born at the exact same time and its mother died and there's no other family we should just tell your wife that that's her baby and, and spare her the loss. Thorne is reluctant at first, but eventually that's what he does. And, and so it all kind of hinges on this lie. You know, yeah. uh, the, the wife, Catherine, believes that this is her child and th- they move to London. Thorne is immediately appointed. Um, the American ambassador to Great Britain. He has aspirations to be president. And then we get this whole happy family montage of photographs that show the first few years of Damien's life. And they live in this big, beautiful house and on this big, beautiful estate. And everything seems great. Yeah. Like they are just happy, happy, happy. But then when Damien gets a little bit older... These strange things start happening. And in real life, you would never connect it. You know, you would never think, oh, well, Damien must be evil right. <laughs> you know, like, that's just not a conclusion that you would jump to especially as his parents but the first big weird thing is uh at Damien's fifth birthday party some weird stuff is going on like there's a Rottweiler just kind of looming in the background and he locks eyes with Damien's Nanny, who is played, I think, by Jack Plance's daughter, mm-hmm. once the Rottweiler locks eyes with her, she disappears for a minute, and then all the kids are down on the lawn having a great time. They've got like this kind of little mini carnival set up. I mean, these are obviously very wealthy people. And you hear Holly calling to Damien, and when everybody finally turns around, they see her standing up on a ledge. Oh, Damien, I love!
0: me damien it's all for you
1: <laughs> and she jumps off the ledge and hangs herself in front of all of these people most of them children
0: yeah it's a shocking scene it's not bloody but no when she leaps you know she's she's tied to a rope and she crashes into the window on the story or two below her. So it's loud and it's piercing and it's shocking. And it's, it's, it's really freaky actually. And the fact, of course, it happens in front of everybody else. She's smiling as she does it just seemingly out of character for her. uh, It appears because we've seen her a little bit before here. We saw them moving into the house and we saw the family. And like you said, it is this, happy family situation, but there still seems to be a a bit of a reserved and almost brooding nature about Robert. I think almost from the very beginning. I mean, obviously, oh, the beginning scenes of the film, right? When when he's had this issue with the uh, almost stillborn baby uh, and then the guilt that he maybe feels at replacing the baby with another one. But I I felt like even just throughout the movie, this guy seemed to just... His mind was elsewhere, right? Like, he's very official. He's very businesslike. He he clearly loves his wife. They're smiling. They're happy. You know, Um, there's some romantic scenes in the beginning between the two of them. But one thing that I didn't see that I kind of expected to see in a movie like this were many scenes of just love between him and her and their son. Yeah. And I feel like it's kind of an, an untapped aspect of this movie. Is okay. Well, we're dealing with the Antichrist here, who has infiltrated your family. But this is your son, who for at least the first five years of his life has just been your son. This family's got everything. You know, they're they're living on, like you said, almost a palatial estate as the ambassadors. Got this great job. They have help. Uh, His fifth birthday party, which you know is when where all this takes place, is this extravagant affair on the grounds with carnival games and lots of people there and like journalists running around and things. Right. And yet, you know, I never got this sense that this kid, like this kid is just almost not even in the movie. (laughs) <laughs> really? Yeah. Y- you know? Not a lot. And I didn't get these, like, tender scenes of of them, you know, loving him or holding him. and, and or. You I think know,
1: that's what they were trying to establish with that photograph montage.
0: Yeah, but it's not enough.
1: <laughs> well, I, I agree with you. I think another element is um, I have absolutely no familiarity with a wealthy lifestyle and like we've said already these people are very wealthy not only very wealthy but politically prominent mm. and like you said there are journalists there um, I think one of the journalists or, or it, he's at least a photographer that's just around all the time I mm. kind of didn't really get that Keith played by David Warner who's very recognizable I recognize him most he was the bad guy's lackey on, on Titanic. Yeah. But he's been in tons of stuff. He's always around taking photographs. And like you said, they do have help. In fact, I think that the whole reason that Holly kills herself is to get her out of the way. Yeah. Because then a new nanny comes in and as it turns out, and it's very easy to tell from the beginning, she is specifically there to look over Damien, and, and she clearly fully knows who and what Damien is, and and it's her purpose. To protect him so like you know she's what I don't know a Satanist a cultist an emissary of the devil I don't know but she's bad and so Holly had to be gotten out of the way so this woman could come in Mm -hmm. so I guess what I was getting at with the whole wealthy thing is because they do have so much help it's you know Damien is most often in the charge of someone else like they only have him in brief moments when they You know, I guess want to have a kid or when they are going out and making appearances and, and want him there. Now that's not to say, I don't know. Like I said, I have zero experience, but that's not to say that wealthy parents don't love their children. But these incredibly wealthy people who have nannies and, and so much other help, I wonder. I could be entirely wrong. And I'm Mm. sure it, you know, is a case to case basis. But I wonder if there is kind of that disconnect that you don't see in families like we grew up in,
0: (laughs) normal families. (laughs) Normal families like
1: ours. Where your parents have to be around you all the time so hopefully they like you (laughs)
0: and and, and which really is better in the long run we can't say that either (laughs) right (laughs) yeah there's also a
1: priest at the birthday party uh father brennan this kind of crazy-eyed priest who in a very frantic way approaches
0: robert you must take communion drink the blood of christ and eat his flesh for only if he is within you can you defeat the son of the devil. I see. He's killed once. He'll kill again. He'll kill until everything that's yours is his. Father, would you Only through waiting? Christ can you fight him. Accept the Lord Jesus. Drink his blood.
1: And tells him that he was at the hospital when Damien was born. And I guess this isn't at the party. I think it's maybe just after. It's in but,
0: his office.
1: Um, yeah. He visited. He visits him in his office, I suppose. And he's very intense, and he's trying to tell Thorne that something is going on. And just before security whisks him away, he screams, His mother was a jack! And then he gets taken away gets escorted out yeah and there's all these all the weird things going on like keith the photographer develops his pictures and all of the pictures with father brennan have this weird he thinks that it's a an imperfection in the film or in the development process um, but in every image of him there's a line going through him like through the top of his torso like
0: a black line yeah
1: which becomes you know important later so there throughout there's this weird suspicious stuff going on and as a viewer I'm curious I don't know I I I don't First-time viewers, when this movie came out, I don't know what they were expecting. I know what this is about. I know that this is an Antichrist movie. I know that this kid is supposed to be the Antichrist. So I just go in assuming that all of these things are somehow linked and that they will be connected and, and explained to us as they are. I don't know how you know a first-time viewer without that kind of expectation would would take it but it's dramatic
0: well i think the thing that kind of puts it over the edge as far as that goes and i and i read that there was actually quite a bit of discussion about the mrs blaylock character played by uh billy whitelaw she's the replacement nanny yeah. she was originally written into the script as a more affable kind of friendly person i guess more kind of the neighbors in rosemary's baby right <laughs> right yeah um, but from the minute she's there, she's pretty sinister. To the point where you kind of wonder why they ever agreed to have her. Especially because as soon as she shows up and introduces herself, oh, I'm the new nanny. Well, now, if uh, if you let me see your boy? Well, yes, of course. He's upstairs. I'll show you where it well, is. Well, why don't you just leave us alone at first? Let us get acquainted in our own way. Well, he's shy with new people. Oh, no. Not with me, he won't be. Well... <laughs> Well, I, d- I don't think... I that... think it'll be fine. Go on. Give it a try. All right, then leave me alone with your child this woman that just walked in yeah and they send her up and you know it's one of those classic moments so where did you find this gal oh, find her i thought you're the one who found her you know and then they go upstairs and they're like where the hell did you come from anyway She's like oh like the agency sent me and uh, they found out that the nanny had died and wanted to send a replacement and here's my references and all that just like oh okay thank you very much and then that's that. But this woman is just creepy. She's doing things that they, that they don't want. She brings this dog into the house, this Rottweiler.
1: Yeah, and he expressly tells her to get rid of it. And, like, she's brazen. Like... Oh, yeah. When she brings in the dog, Thorn is like, you know, where did this dog come from? And uh, she's like, well, it was wandering on the lawn, so I brought it in. I thought we could use a watchdog. And he's like, look, if I want a dog... I'll okay. <laughs> get a dog myself, get <laughs> right. rid of it. And and she's like, well, but Damien's really attached. And he's like, no, get rid of it. And then she still doesn't like, yeah. <laughs> and, and the same thing, there's a, uh, a scene where the thorns are dressed to the nines. You don't know where they're going at first, but they're, they're very dressed up. Uh, the mom, Catherine is calling for Damien and Mrs. Baylock, Comes to the stairway and uh, and the mom's like, Is he ready to go? And Mrs. Baylock's like, You know what? Uh, I think he's too young to go to church. He wants to go to the park instead. And she's like, No, he's going to church with us. And Mrs. Baylock's like, Well, you know, I don't really think he would understand. Like, why are you letting this woman talk to you like that? Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. you are super rich and you are her boss. Fire her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly and when they do go to the church of course Damien as they get closer and closer Damien starts to get more and more upset it's like he sees Jesus up on the there's like a statue of Jesus up where the cross would be or whatever and, and he gets more and more agitated and by the time they pull up uh, you know he's frantic he's clawing at his mom and all that and won't get out of the car and so they end up leaving This it's a it was a wedding they were going to and they end up leaving but you know like like at that point, come on, <laughs> you know, and, and I think this is what Richard Donner and the producers had some discussions about was do we leave her in? Because she's clearly so sinister that it kind of throws that whole could this or could this not be a coincidence thing off the line? Long- but but he was just in love with her performance, and it is a great yeah, performance. It
1: is. It so, is really good.
0: Yeah, he, he left it in there. So
1: Well, and I thought you were going to say like when they pull up to the church and Damien starts freaking out, and oh, you said, too. at this point, at this point, oh, come on. Like, I can see how as... An audience member, you would be like, well, obviously there's something off with this kid. Like, why is he, you know, he's been totally docile and fine throughout the whole movie. And now all of a sudden you pull him up in front of a church and he, like, goes feral and is, you know, (laughs) clawing at his mom, blah, blah, blah. But you're a dad. Yeah. These things happen. Kids freak out sometimes for no good reason. They just freak out.
0: All during the day, (laughs) especially this freaking age, right? He's five. I mean, mine's four, and already it's like just you never know how the day's going to go, and you don't know what's going to set him off. And sometimes you don't even know what did set him off. He's just in a bad mood all of a sudden, and right, it's, it's right. maddening. Ugh, I mean, it's a, that would be an awful lot of coincidences, right? My favorite, I loved it when they went to the animal safari park, which was interesting. I've been to one of these. they We have one here in Beijing. It was a big, fun experience. I think I might have talked about it on here once before, but yeah. you can drive through in your own car through some of the animal habitats where they're they are running, roaming free. But you're not supposed to roll your windows down or get out of the car or hit them. Right. <laughs> you know, Because they're wild animals. A, honestly, you're given a lot of freedom to, like, be good going through these animal parks. It's kind of weird we, we have this. But, yeah, they, they're driving through the animal park, and they get through the monkey section. And Well, at first when they arrive, Damien kind of walks up to a, a bunch of giraffes, which all turn tail and run. And Mom is like, huh, that's odd well, let's go over and look at the elephants, you know? And they get in the car and they drive through this and they get to the section where the monkeys are baboons or whatever they are. They're all kind of visibly freaked out and then they all start to surround the car and jump on the car and kind of attack the car.
1: Which is horrifying. Oh, yeah. Like, because baboons are, well, can be, very violent and very dangerous. And I guess the way that they accomplished this was they drove through and there was somebody sitting in the back. And at first, they took a baby baboon, thinking that the baboons would be curious and protective and try to get the baby. Well, the baboons didn't
0: react at all. <laughs> they don't give a shit about their kids, do they? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Screw the baby. Who cares? Whatever. We'll make more. <laughs> then they took, I guess, like the pack leader of these baboons and put it in the back of the car. And the baboons really did freak out. And and so, you know, you see this, and it is very real. These baboons are, are attacking this car. And apparently Lee Remick, who plays Catherine, she looks terrified, and her reactions are genuine. <laughs> As mine would have been, I yeah. would have been scared to death. Like, <laughs> in that situation, oh, so frightening. We're just... I understand that automobile glass is stronger than, like, a window pane, but still, there's just a thin layer of glass between you and this horde of these violent wild animals. But, you know, they get away and then they never talk about it again. Like, it's just all, again, it could be coincidence. And actually, were there ever any parts in the movie where you felt sorry for Damien? <laughs> I did. Because the kid doesn't know he's the devil, right?
0: Like, <laughs> Well, does he? That's the big question, I think. Maybe not. But then he turns around and does that little evil grin every now and then. Uh, yeah, He locks yeah. eyes with things and you think, oh, I think the kid does kind of know he's the devil. <laughs> I, I,
1: if I remember correctly, in part two, he has... People like Mrs. Baylock, not Mrs. Baylock, but other people who are specifically there to protect and guide him. And it's in part two that he is basically informed of who and what he is. Uh-huh. And once once he's informed of that, then he actually starts doing some of these things. Like mm. I didn't get the impression in this movie that Damien directed any of these things i now, didn't get the too. impression that he directed his nanny to kill herself right that he directed these animals to attack these are forces that are happening outside uh of him and when the giraffes ran away from him i felt bad oh i
0: felt bad too. <laughs> yeah. he looked happy. you know he's going to the giraffes he seemed happy they ran away oh but that's kind of unique also thing about this film that is good to point out because there are evil kid movies there are a lot of them right yeah and usually in those movies it's that the kid is just pure evil and they're directing these things and here everything is just sort of a reaction to his nature and who he is again i don't know if if he knew or not but i agree with you he probably wasn't making these things happen you know it's just it's just an ominous it's he's an omen He's an omen of what is to come, right?
1: (laughs) 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 At at this point And I think that this is intentional. I really started to feel for Catherine because after Mm. this baboon attack, she is shook. Like, she's feeling weird. She tells her husband that she thinks that she needs to see a psychiatrist. She's having all of these bad thoughts. Eventually, some other stuff happens, but eventually she does go to a psychiatrist and the husband meets with the psychiatrist, which is so quaint and from a different time like yeah the psychiatrist has to like brief the husband oh yeah you you know your wife tells him
0: everything about it It breaches all kinds of privacy and uh right and it's it's your typical psychiatrist explains everything that's going on scene that you used to get in movies well this is happening because of blah 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 and she should do that and you should do that and now you make a decision (laughs)
1: And he, the psychiatrist says that she's having delusions. She's having delusions that Damien wants to kill her and that she's not really Damien's mother. Well, of course, Robert knows that that part of it is true. Mm -hmm. She's not his mother. And so then he's kind of freaked out, too. He's also freaked out because father Brennan appears again and demands a meeting with him and says if you don't meet with me Catherine is going to die um so he does meet with him in the park and then father Brennan quotes Revelation with this poem which if you have studied the bible at all you would know right away that this isn't from the bible the bible isn't most of it is not written in verse like this. It's literally (laughs) a poem. When the Jews return to Zion and a comet rips the sky and the Holy Roman Empire rises, then you and I must die. From the eternal sea, he rises, creating armies on either shore, turning man against his brother, till man exists no more. He tells him, you need to go to this town, Megado or something, um, and see some old man. I don't know. But then, <laughs> so, uh, then uh, Robert leaves, and immediately Oh, but he, also,
0: he also says that the reason is that she's pregnant.
1: Oh, right. He, I forgot about that.
0: He tells him she's pregnant, and he's like, what the hell are you talking about? How would you even know that? And, you know, she's not. That's pretty important.
1: How would he even know that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this
0: guy has no tact. Like this guy's just nuts, right? Like I wouldn't listen to a thing this guy was saying either. His approach is all wrong. He he comes across as the crazy man.
1: He's yeah yeah totally the big the big a big like windstorm with lightning strikes and Brennan runs for a church like tries to get into a church but um, a lightning rod is struck by lightning falls and impales him just as. It looked in those pictures. Mm-hmm. That image, the image of him impaled, still standing, you know, impaled by this huge pole, appears on the front page of the paper, because, you know, that's something that a newspaper would put on the front <laughs> right, page.
0: Just the death scene of this <laughs> right. well, maybe in London, actually. I hear the tabloids there are quite fierce.
1: <laughs> I guess. I suppose.
0: But this is this is part of what's kind of interesting and quaint about the movie. And also, like, this can't be coincidence at this point. Because this guy just said this thing out of the blue, and how would he know? But then when he has this encounter with the wife, and she says she doesn't want to have any more kids, he says, that's fine. Yes. And she says, so then you'll agree to an abortion. And he's like, what? She said, yeah, I just found out this morning that I'm pregnant. And I don't want to have the baby. And he's like, oh, my God, you know. So at that point, come on, you know, this this would be way too coincidental. And this is when he starts to really take this seriously. And and then the psychiatrist explains everything scene. Another thing that makes it so quaint is that the psychiatrist brings this up. He says, yeah, she's pregnant and, and all that, and she wants to have the abortion. And, and he says, well, she should, because if she has the baby, it's going to, you know, affect her, her psyche in a terrible way or something like that. And Robert says no, I'm definitely not going to do it now because it was foretold that this baby would not live and so I'm going to make sure that this baby lived. I feel like at this point, if not well before this, the whole movie's really about Robert. Yeah. It all revolves around him. It all concentrates on him. It follows his train of thought and and his sort of conversion from just all this doubt to starting to believe something's up and then his investigation of what to do. And again, also at this point, um, well, we've got one more thing coming up, one more big scene. But but after that, it's all just like investigation and we sort of leave the family and we leave the city and we leave Damien and we don't see Damien again for a while. At that point, it kind of loses some steam, I think, or some 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 tension.
1: Arguably, on the other hand, I feel like they do move through that stuff pretty quickly, which I appreciate because you're right. It is a lot of let's fly to this city and talk to this person and let's fly to this place and look at cemetery. But I mean, it goes by pretty fast. But uh, before that, when when Robert says that he will fight for that baby, I feel like the very next scene Damien's riding around on his tricycle in his room and, uh, Mrs. Baylock is, is watching him. Meanwhile, Catherine is cleaning, I guess, or, well. or checking on plants or something on a landing on the second floor. And, and it's a landing that overlooks the first floor. And she has to. Get at something up high, a plant or a chandelier or something. And so she moves a, like an end table and, and stands on it, which was stupid in the first place. So, yeah. <laughs> first of all, this
0: woman's got other people to do this for her. Uh, first of all, we right. Know that. Second of all, why would you do this? Yeah. <laughs> but,
1: but Mrs. Baylock lets, she, like, she ominously opens the door and Damien goes flying out on his tricycle. And again, to be fair, like, he's furiously pedaling and he's not even really looking where he's going. So I didn't get the impression that he did this on purpose, Mm -hmm. but he hits the table that his mother is standing on, and she falls over the ledge and lands on what was almost certainly like a marble floor and very easily could have been killed. She's not, but she's terribly injured, and um, she loses the baby. So, you know, that warning that the baby would die comes to pass... Um, yeah, Because of, you know, Damien and, and Mrs. Baylock, I, I guess. Um, and that scene where she falls, I found this story really interesting. The woman uh, who plays Catherine, Lee Remick, refused to do the stunt. And that was largely in part because of The Exorcist and the fact that uh, Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair were both... Severely injured, uh, in the making of that movie doing their own stunts, largely because William Friedkin, the director, was kind of a crazy person, um, mm. and, and really didn't take their, uh, safety into consideration. But they both suffered injuries that stayed with them for the rest of their lives. So Lee Remick didn't want to do this stunt. So the, the trip over the balcony looked To me, like a double. And then they set up a shot where it looks like the camera is following her falling onto the ground. But really what they did is they recreated the floor on a vertical plane and then just dollied her up to it. And if you know that, watching it, (laughs) you can tell. Um, But if you don't know it, it almost looks more like a trick of... Timing, um, like they just maybe slowed the film down a little bit as yeah. she was falling. I actually really like that scene.
0: Oh, it's fantastic! Well, and I, yeah, I love the cinematography of this, and I also like how the first thing to land is the is the fishbowl, uh-huh. which shatters and leaves the fish out there and. Oh, gosh, you know, there's just so many cool artistic things you can do that make something seem more violent and, and horrible without showing it. But there's something about that fishbowl shattering, the, the water spraying out and those fish lying there just before she follows it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a real audio and visceral and visual kind of representation of a body splattering. You know, it's quite beautiful uh, and, and shocking and spooky. And the movie's great at that. I mean, there's really... Well, there's one scene in here that's, that's a bit gory. But other than that, the deaths that happen, you know, there's not really any blood.
1: Very little. Yeah. There's a little bit of blood, like, on uh, Catherine's shirt here. And I feel like maybe a few drops of blood come out of oh, her mouth. come out of
0: her mouth. Yeah.
1: There, There's very, very little blood uh, at all in the whole movie. When Robert visits her in the hospital, I think all she can say to him is, don't let him kill me. Mm she believes that Damien is trying to kill her, which whether he consciously is or not, it's clear that her life very much is in danger. Mm-hmm. And then the photographer, Keith calls Rob and brings him over to his studio where he shows him the photographs of Brennan with the pole through him. Um, but also he had caught a picture of the nanny before she had been killed. And there's a suggestion of a rope around her neck Robert's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go investigate this or whatever. And Keith's like, I'm coming too. And Robert's like, well, this doesn't have anything to do with you. And Keith says, uh, yeah, it does. And he shows him a picture of himself. He caught by accident a photograph of himself in a mirror and there's something going through him. Mm-hmm. So, um, like you said, they go on this little investigative journey. They they visit the hospital where Damien was born, but the original structure burned down five years ago, right after Damien was born. And it's been replaced with a new building, but all of the records have been destroyed. The only remaining link is the head priest survived the fire. He was severely injured, but he survived the fire. He's now in a monastery. Yeah. So then they have to go to the monastery.
0: Before we leave the hospital... They, they have this conversation with this nun slash nurse or whatever in this thing. And, and while they're in the hallway talking to her, there's this thing like moving up, constantly moving up and down behind her in the wall. Yeah. It looked like a dumbwaiter or something. I'm like, what in the hell is that? They finished talking to her and she's like, okay, well I'll see you later. She turns around and backs into this thing and it lifts her up. And I was like, I know what in the hell is that? And so I, I, I looked it up and this is a real thing. This is called a, have you heard of this? No,
1: but it was really cool. <laughs>
0: it, is, it is a continuously running elevator. It looks like one of the most dangerous things in the world. Yes. It's called a Paternoster lift, and apparently they stopped constructing new ones like in the mid-70s <laughs> out of concern for people's safety. Very good. But, but it's just like a, like a lift on chain, like a big loop with just a whole bunch of elevator cars that are constantly coming down on one end, and then you know the, next to it, that, that side's going up, and when you wanna get on or off, you just step onto it when it comes down, as it's coming down, and then you wanna get off of it, you just step off of it as it approaches the floor. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: crazy. It was very cool but it did look very dangerous. Oh my <laughs> word.
0: Way too cool. Look it up I-, I went down some serious rabbit holes on YouTube and Wikipedia on this Paternoster lift I'm not gonna lie just from this scene in this movie crazy.
1: Before they visit the priest they sit down and have a discussion and they talk about the prophecy that Brennan had read supposedly from the book of Revelations even though it's not really. As it turns out, all of these things that they, it has something to do with Israel and a comet and like, everything has happened and it says when these things happen, the devil will rise out of the eternal sea. And they can't figure out what the eternal sea means but uh, Keith finally figures out that I guess biblical scholars have said that the eternal sea is the world of politics because it's constantly turbulent and whatever. So the, the son of, of the devil will rise out of the world of politics, which, which fits perfectly because, you know, Thorne is high level politics. Yeah, he has government. aspirations to be president. So it all lines up. They go to the monastery. The priest is there. He's badly burned, but he's um, able to write that the child's mother is in Cervete or something, which is a cemetery. So they go to the cemetery, and they find the grave of a woman who died on Damien's birthday buried right next to Bambino Schiana or whatever – that died on that day. And when they open the quote unquote mother's grave, it's an animal. We've Mm. it's, it's a jackal. I don't know if you could tell that just by seeing the skeleton, but that's what it's supposed to be. And then they also open the baby's grave because, uh, Robert says, if it's empty, that may mean that my child is still out there somewhere. But when they open it, there is the skeleton of a baby in there, but its skull has been crushed. So they come to understand that, um, the Thorns baby hadn't died, it had been killed. This had been, you know, part of the plan to get Damien into their care. Their, their baby had been killed. They're attacked by Rottweilers, um, but they get away. Robert calls Kathy and tells her to leave London right away. And so she starts getting ready, but as she's getting ready, Baylock appears right behind her and pushes her out of the hospital window. And she's, I don't know, probably eight stories in the air. And so she's dead, which, poor lady, she didn't do
0: anything. I know. No, I feel horrible about that. And the next scene is... Robert getting the call. And this is a one-shot take on him, and it's long and it's painful. Yeah. His acting's incredible. And you just see this man's face, just what it would be like to get a phone call that someone you love is dead. He's an amazing actor. He just really, really pulled that off. You know, I read that Gregory Peck, his son, had committed suicide just a couple years Mm -hmm. before this. And he felt like he hadn't been around for him and apparently was racked with quite a bit of guilt and the producer sent him the script kind of hesitantly. Yeah. I mean, realizing they were sending him a script about, you know, a father's might have to kill a son, but also that may be the reason why he accepted the role is just to kind of play that out and uh, kind of come to terms with it and, and and maybe at least be able to pull from that experience uh, for the role. And so he did. And and it's it's whatever, wherever it comes from. He's a talented actor regardless. But it's yes it's a brilliant performance. It's just so, so good. And I saw that this script was offered to like Dick Van Dyke and
1: yeah, long... who regretted turning it down? Can you imagine oh, Dick my... Van Dyke? My God, no. I, I, <laughs> I mean, what? How interesting that would have been. I've never seen him in a serious role like this. But no, who knows? He's a very talented actor. He too. is. Maybe it could have could been have great.
0: Anyway, yeah. So, um, so that was incredible. And then I think I was reading the trivia that that he had a disagreement with Richard Donner that during this, um, he wanted to throw things around the room and kind of go nuts. Right. When he got the call. And Richard Donner's like, no, I I want you to do it this way. And he says, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Well, finally, when he got the dailies and they both sat down and looked at him, Gregory Peck conceded that, uh, no, actually, you were were right. right. This was exactly the way to do the scene. And it's it's followed by another wonderful scene where he's just laying down on the bed and he's just staring off into space. And the camera is just slowly, very slowly dollying in on him. Again, one shot. And the photographer at some point comes and sits down next to the bed, kind of in the background, and he's chatting with him about the prophecy and all that. Robert just says, um,
1: Kathy is dead.
0: I want Damien to die too. My God.
1: I know that's crazy. Like, Mm. he's losing everything and realizing it, and you see it. With the loss, there's also anger. Like, he's clearly embraced that Damien is the cause of this. And Mm -hmm. at this point, it's about not revenge necessarily, but justice, uh, maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he wants Damien dead. So they go to Megado and visit with a priest who gives Robert these seven special daggers and, and he <laughs> instructs him like you have to kill him with this you have to stab him with this one first and that will take his human life but then you have to stab him with all these others in this particular way to like destroy his spirit
0: on an altar in a church <laughs>
1: yeah it's got to be on hallowed ground and they leave and then all of a sudden he has a Robert has a crisis of conscience he says I can't do this. I, I can't kill him. And he throws the daggers and Keith says, well, if you aren't going to do it, I'll do it. And he goes and he grabs the daggers. And as he's bending over to pick them up, as he's standing back up, this <laughs> truck carrying enormous plates of glass backs up and like hits something and the plate of glass shoots out and decapitates. Keith, and his head goes flying <laughs> for a while.
0: Yeah, for a while. <laughs> yeah,
1: but still no blood. No. You know, like, it's just it's a just severed a head. head. Like, no blood. And David Warner kept... That head forever, and then lost it in his divorce, which I think is so funny. <laughs> it's apropos, like,
0: right his wife got possession of it. <laughs>
1: oh gosh, that's so funny.
0: I also read that um, the way that Donner edit you know had that edited was purposely so that when people c- close their eyes, so they wouldn't have to see the decapitation. That but by the time they open them again, the head would still be flying through the air. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's cool It's slow It's cool It's cool I enjoyed it So Robert flies home Gets back to his house He traps the Rottweiler In the basement He looks for the 666 The mark of the beast It symbolizes the unholy trinity of, Of the devil The antichrist And the false prophet He's attacked by Balok And they fight for a while But he ends up killing her Pretty brutally And he takes Damien and he throws Damien in the car and speeds off. And the police are immediately in pursuit. I guess because he is, you know, an ambassador. He's an important, you know, maybe there's security around all the time. And when they see him speeding away, they think something must be going on. So they're yeah. in immediate pursuit. He takes Damien to a church and takes him up to the altar and goes to kill him lifts up the first dagger and this moment goes by really fast but i felt like it was very kind of poignant too where damien begs for his life and and calls him daddy like daddy please don't like i can understand why that would cause robert to hesitate but he's going to do it anyway but before he can do it he's shot by police Hmm. and killed and the next thing we see is the funeral, and it's suggested that Damien is going to be adopted by the United States president. <laughs> and, and they're standing there, all the, the president, the first lady, and Damien are all standing there looking at the grave with their back to the camera. And then Damien turns around, looks directly into camera, and smiles.
0: <laughs>
1: A very wicked kind of smile, and, and Donner had tricked him into doing that. He had been like, don't you dare laugh, don't you dare laugh. And so he got this sly smile out of him, and it looks great.
0: This poor little kid, right, he hasn't had any other roles, basically, just this and probably... He was a bit of a hellion on the set, but uh, Donner had hired him because during the casting process, he had had a bunch of kids run up to him and say, all right, now now attack me. You know, act like you're going to attack me. And he was particularly vicious. And so he was like, dye his hair black and put some black contact lenses in his eyes to make him more sinister and <laughs> he's gonna be mm-hmm. the guy
1: and like you said he's not in it very much he maybe has two or three lines like he he barely talks he just kind of sits in the background most of the time yeah but he's creepy you yeah. know uh, and good uh, I also read that initially in the script and they may have even shot this um, the whole family was supposed to die Robert was successful in killing Damien and then was killed by police. But I don't know if just ultimately they decided or if they did test screenings and they just decided that it was too grim. So instead of it being too grim with them all dying, they let the devil win. Like, I guess that's (laughs) less grim. (laughs) Well, maybe
0: they also figured, I mean, you can't really kill the devil, right? So, uh...
1: True, you know. and and I, I don't know if sequel. they were anticipating... <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't know if they were anticipating sequels with the gravitas of Gregory Peck. You know, I, I suppose there was probably some um, potential there. And and there were sequels. And I, I do vaguely remember the second one. I remember the second one being gorier than the first one. And I remember liking it. I never saw the third one. The third one stars Sam Neill as an adult mm, Damien. Yeah rising to power but i I believe that he's killed at the end and and that's the original trilogy there was later a uh third sequel that was made for television and it was intended to be the first of a series of new sequels and it wasn't damien but rather somehow damien had a fathered a child or something and and his line was going to continue now i actually did see the fourth one and it was bad it's a bad movie but i saw it when i was a kid so i kind of remember enjoying it but mm. it it's if you seek it out just i'm telling you be aware it's bad
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't there a isn't there a series now or wasn't there a couple years ago a tv series there was there was Damien? and
1: I, yeah and I didn't watch it no. but uh, I think it got pretty good reviews but it didn't last very long Yeah. Um, but the movie really is considered a horror classic and I understand why it, it's well made and and there are very very good performances and it's an interesting story it moves you know it's almost two hours long but yes there's that mm. little bit of a lull there at the end where they're doing the investigating but I never felt That it was slow. I will admit that I turned it off when there was about a half an hour left and took a nap. Yeah, and came
0: back to it you're hilarious Craig Uh, it really moved I wouldn't say it was slow I will admit though I did take a nap at one point I was tired I came back for the last half hour fully refreshed and ready to tackle it again I I felt kind of like it was a little boring I to be honest I, I don't demand that all my horror movies be slam bang action fests. you know they don't have to be but I didn't also feel that just impending sense of dread. I felt like there were a number of things that happened, um, and they were kind of spaced out and paced out, and they were horrifying, to be sure. But then it kind of slogs, I think, when it gets to investigation and going out, and we just kind of leave Damien entirely. And, and when you just sort of forget about your main threat and... You're just in the background, whereas the protagonists of the story are able to go out and jet set around the world to figure out a mystery and, and, and what to do. I, I don't know. I just I found it a little boring, maybe also because I've seen a lot of movies like this or the movies that have a lot of these elements in it. So it's not particularly novel. I was a little disappointed in the film, to be honest, but not because it's not a well-made film, not because it it's not overall compelling and interesting. Uh, it just I just felt like you could have shaved about a half hour off of it maybe. Maybe. And and made it made it better in my opinion, in my opinion. Now, now it's interesting that Jerry Goldsmith, we didn't even talk about the score. The score? Oh
1: man, yeah. The
0: score's great and Jerry Goldsmith, um who had been, you know, scoring movies well before this and and beyond. And is a fantastic composer. This was his first and only Academy Award, and he almost didn't go to the ceremony because he's just kind of like been nominated he had so, lost many, so times. many times, yeah, right? and never won. And, and he got it for this one, so that was pretty good.
1: And uh, it's great. Play a little is. bit of it somewhere because it's really good. And even even if you haven't seen this movie, I bet you've heard this somewhere. Oh, it's it's, it's really familiar. way over budget to get him because I don't know if it was Donner or the producers or, or who. they really felt that they needed to establish the tone and atmosphere and they really thought they could do it with this with his score. And they were right. I think without this score it would be lacking in in some way.
0: And, you know, we had briefly mentioned the cinematography, and you thought it was fairly pedestrian, and I, and I can see why. I think a lot of the movie is a little pedestrian, and so there's really no need for flashy cinematography. But I think in those moments, like uh, with the horrifying things that do happen, or the the moments where things are just a little more tense and suspenseful, actually, I think the cinematography gets pretty brilliant. You know, I'm thinking about when he comes back to the house, and he's, he's you know, looking for Damien and... and He's about to kill him, and he has to face off with the dog and, and the woman and everything. And I thought that was particularly well shot with some great camera angles. Donner had um, talked cinematographer Gilbert Taylor out of retirement to do this movie. Gilbert Taylor this had had a long history of 100-plus 100, 100 movies before this. Um, and, of course, the movie was a big hit. And Taylor went on to be the cinematographer for Star Wars, the first Star Wars, the year after this. Mm-hmm. So uh, that turned out to be a pretty smart move. And then he continued on for a few more. I found it interesting that um, Richard Donner, I guess I just hadn't occurred to me, but a lot of the movies that he did was were with Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. Maverick, which, gosh, I love that movie. Uh, of course, he started working with him on Lethal Weapon. I was kind of surprised. And Mel Gibson had some very nice things to say about him, called him Uncle Donnie or something like that. and. And said that he was just a, a wonderful guy who, when he directed a movie, wasn't this hard-ass guy who just demanded everything be done his way. But he would say, okay, you know, let's try it your way and see what happens. You know, always kind of imagining that maybe the actor could bring something to the table he wasn't expecting and gave them the freedom to do that.
1: He seemed cool. He seemed like a cool guy. You know, this one, even though, you know, he lived a nice, long life. Yeah. So people die, it, it happens, but this one hit kind of hard because, you know, some of his movies, particularly The Goonies and Scrooge are two of my favorite movies. Mm. Period. I just I and and they're such a touchstone of my childhood. Um, I was really sad and, and Donner just seemed like a cool guy I, I've seen a lot of behind the scenes stuff uh, About the Goonies And seen a lot of photographs and video And it, it really seemed like He was re- Those kids loved him
0: Mm. It's like a father to them or something, yeah? Yeah,
1: yeah. And it just seemed like it was, you know, an amazing experience for them. He also, you know, another thing I like about Donner is he cameoed in a lot of his own movies and he cameoed in other horror movies. We've seen him cameo. We, we've we made note of his cameos in, in some of the horror movies that we've done. Um, So he just seemed... You know, from an outsider's perspective, who knows? I didn't know the man, but from an outsider's perspective, he just seemed like a cool guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he had been in kind of failing health, but.
0: 91. Uh,
1: and he hadn't done anything for a while, but he, as recently as last year, he had, you know, spoken publicly about his desire to direct a fifth lethal weapon. He wasn't ready to stop, but old age gets you and that and happens. But, you know, as, as I usually end up saying left behind an amazing legacy and will be remembered fondly in uh, the world of filmmaking for a very long time, I think. And and for many of us growing up in the eighties and nineties, we will uh, carry those very fond memories of, of uh, his work for a very long time.
0: Yes, we will. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share this with a friend. You can find us online just by Googling Two Guys in a Chainsaw podcast, where our Facebook page should pop up, along with our regular website, twoguys.red40net.com, and our Twitter feed. Just leave us a comment or a message on any one of those venues. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Give us some advice for episodes that we should do in the future. Until that time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw.